Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I think this big screen behind me is awesome. Like, I, I go and I I'll upload the messages to Facebook, and I go back and, and watch them sometimes. And I just think it looks epic. Like, these flames, like, behind me. It's so cool. Sorry, it's my inner nerd coming out. Uh, we are in week two of our series, Fan the Flame. Well, we kicked off last week, uh, just excited about fanning the flame of revival, not just seeking revival, but how to uh, fan it and sustain it when revival comes. And I believe that last week God got some of us lit on fire, um, and he's been doing some pretty remarkable and amazing things over the last uh, several weeks and months, and, and just hearing the testimonies, I love to hear testimonies of what God is doing in your lives because it encourages my faith. And, and I truly believe that, again, the spirit of testimony is the, is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When you testify about what God's doing in your life, it helps others cling on to hope and to encourage their faith to believe God for things in their lives. So testimony is so important, and it's amazing to see what God is doing. So last week, again, we talked about the fire of God and the pouring out of the Spirit. Um, and this week, we're talking about stoking the fire. We're going to begin to stoke the fire that gets poured out uh, when God lights us up. Again, last week was all about getting lit. Now we're stoking the fire, fanning into flame the gift of the Holy Spirit in you. So um, last week, maybe some of you, um, during our time of response at the end, as we normally invite people forward to pray, you felt that tugging on your heart that that you needed to come forward and, and, and receive the filling of the Spirit, that there's more of God that you want to experience and you didn't come forward. I know sometimes it's easy to hesitate and, and delay and miss your opportunity. I just want to encourage you, you're going to have another opportunity at the end of church today. We're going to invite you to come and pray. We pray about all sorts of things. As you can see, we have all sorts of needs. We pray about all sorts of things. We will join you in prayer for healing, for breakthrough, for your relationships. But I love to see God touch people and to transform their lives. And so we'll give you an opportunity to do that in just a minute. But we're going to begin stoking the fire today, adding another coal. When you use that word stoke, uh, that means to add another coal or another element, another fuel source to the fire to keep it going. Last week was all about getting lit. We are stoking the fire. A few years ago, my wife and I took a trip to the UP. For all you locals, that's the UP. I'm not from around here, so when I saw that, I'm like, what's the UP? You know, it's, it's the UP. I also want to know what a Frankenmuth was. I didn't know what a Frankenmuth was. But we went to the UP. We, we go to this town called Munising. It's by Pictured Rocks. It's so beautiful. There's a campground there that we just love. They have yurts and platform tents, and it's right on the water, and it's so beautiful. And one of our favorite things to do there is that every tent, every, every section has a fire pit. And at night, when the sun goes down, everybody's got their fires lit, and they're just hanging around the fireplace. And so that, that's kind of like the highlight to, to just hang around the fire pit and watch the sunset on the water and just chill and relax and 
have conversation, roast a marshmallow if you want, or, or a hot dog. But this year, we picked the worst year to go because it was raining. It had been raining all week, and when we got up there, it was still raining off and on. And so the whole area was wet, and all the wood in the area was saturated with water. And so when we get there, we, we get to our, our yurt, we're unpacking things, and I go to pick up some wood. I, I see all the fire pits with, with wood in it, but as I'm wheeling the wood down, someone even says, good luck lighting your fire. Good luck. And, and so I was like, I don't need luck. I got the Lord. And about a half gallon or a half tank of lighter fluid. I came prepared. So... I just, I just, we were going to light this thing. We were going to not let the rain slow us down. So we get unpacked, and, and I go to build the, the fire. I get the, the wood out there, get some kindling in there, and I pour about half of a can of lighter fluid on there, and nothing. Nothing. And I'm like, what in the, the heck is going on? And, and I'm looking around to the other tents, and you have some that have barely have dwindling fires, and, and most of them are out. And, and I'm sitting there. I waste this whole can of fluid on this fire pit, and I can't get the thing started. And so now I'm getting a little frustrated. But if you know me, when, I'm, when I have something in my mind to do, I don't stop until I do it. Some call that determination. My wife calls it stubbornness. And depending on the context of the situation, it could be a good thing or a bad thing. But I was bound and determined. We're not going to let rain ruin our weekend. We plan this. We don't get away very often. We're, we're alone. This is going to be great. And so I, I knew that the gas station up the road, they sold wood. So I'm thinking, well, maybe I could go there and get some extra fire, uh, firewood, maybe some dry wood, or maybe some more lighter fluid. And so I went to the gas station. And their wood was all wet, too. It, it was outside. It was all wet. And so I went into the store to find some more lighter fluid. And I found some fluid, and, and I found uh, some new lighters. But then I also found a Duraflame starter log. Oh, 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 oh. We are in business now. I was like, ah, that's the best 10 bucks I'm going to spend all weekend. So I buy the, the starter log, and I'm like, whatever it takes, we're going we're to get this thing lit. And I bring it back to the, the campground, and I'm wheeling everything in, and it's such a sad scene because all these barely lit fires are, are there, and people are, like, not even hanging around the fireplace like they normally are. And it just is, like, a somber, like, moment when it's usually lively and, and, and kind of a cool vibe. And so we get back, I get back to our camp area, and I pull the wood out. I put the starter log at the bottom, and then I build the teepee with the wood, and then I cram kindling everywhere I could find a space to cram it, and about a half gallon of more lighter fluid on that thing, I light the starter log, and within seconds, I don't have a fire, I have a bonfire. Like this little metal pit, it's like two foot, three foot flames like roaring off of this thing, and I'm like, oh, yes, yes. It's like Tom Hanks from Castaway. Oh, I've made fire, you know. Oh, you know, feeling good, feeling manly. Yes, we did this. So we, we get a towel and we, we dry off the bench and we're sitting there uh, at the fire just enjoying ourselves. 
And this couple walks down the path that passes in front of our, our camp area. And as they're passing us, the, the girlfriend or the wife says in a deep southern accent, y'all must have some of that magic wood, you know. And we, again, we're looking around, and like, we're the only ones with a fire. Everyone else is, is burnt out. And I was feeling quite proud of myself, to say the least. And we were laughing because, yeah, we, we had this giant fire. And even after it started raining and we went in, it burned like that for another several hours. It did not go out. But you know, when you're lit on fire, and then you look around and... No one else really is. It can be kind of discouraging a little bit. Because you want to share. You want to be like, I want you to experience the same thing that I'm experiencing. And this Christian life can be kind of like that. When you're lit on fire and you're so geeked and excited. And you're like, okay, God is doing something. He is moving. And then you look at others that just don't seem to care all that much. Because they're not experiencing what you're experiencing. That's why it's not just important to be lit. It's important to stoke the flame. To stoke the flame. Revival is a lot like building a fire. When the Holy Spirit pours out that baptism of fire in him, he radically shifts your life. It's like pouring gas on a flame. It burns hot and it burns fast. But if we don't have the right material in the fireplace, it's going to burn out quickly. It's going to burn hot and fast. But if you don't have anything to sustain the flame, it's going to burn out quickly. And there are two things we really use to build a fire other than a starter fluid and a match. There are two elements in a fire. There are kindling and the logs for the fire. Now the kindling, that, that's what burns quick. It catches fire quick. It burns quick. But it's unsustaining. If you, all you have is kindling, it's not going to last very long. It's, it's going to burn quick. So you need something to help it burn longer and burn brighter. In our Christian life, we have a lot of kindling. We have a lot of things that seem to uh, give us these little boosts in our spirit, these spiritual experiences. When you have a good service at church, it's like kindling. I better get another amen for that one. It's like kindling. It's like Oh, man, just, man, God showed up today. Man, that was awesome. I'm, I'm ready to, to take on the charge. I'm ready to, to get out there and walk in faith. When you have a personal encounter with the Spirit or God uses you, it, it lights you on fire. When you touch somebody's life, those moments are awesome. They burn hot and they burn fast. But, beloved, they will not sustain you. There are... Followers of Jesus Christ that live Sunday to Sunday. And by the time they get here Sunday morning, their fire's all been put out. There needs to be more than kindling in your relationship with God. There needs to be depth to your walk with the Lord and your relationship with Jesus. And that depth comes from what author James Gall, in his book, The Scribe, calls divine privileges. In Bible college and seminary, there's a term that we, we had to research, we had to discuss. It was called means of grace. They are 
the things that we do that God uses to bestow gifts of grace upon us. Many will call these things spiritual disciplines. But I don't like that word discipline. Because a lot of times the word discipline has a negative connotation to it. It means difficulty or un unpleasant. So I like James Gall's term, spiritual privileges, because these means of grace are privileges. They're not what we have to do. They are what we get to do. You don't have to do them, but it's a privilege to get to do it. And these means of grace, they act as logs on the fire to keep you burning hot and burning bright in this Christian life. And so today we're going to talk about the magic wood. We're going to talk about the log that determines the health of your fire. Our focus of our discussion today, beloved, is on the Word of God. The Word of God, the Bible, is the most essential log to have in your fireplace. Because even though all the logs are necessary, this log serves as the foundation of our faith. The foundation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And just as the psalmist cries out in Psalm 119, God, open our eyes to see truth from your word. God, give us ears to hear a mind that understands, and a heart ready to believe everything that you want to say. God, I pray that you would ignite the flame, but also you would sustain the flame. Draw us deeper into our relationship with God, that we would know the depth, the height, the breadth, and the width of the love of God, though it's too great to know fully. And God, today you would meet with us. God, as we look at your word, and we're going to look at the scripture of what your testimony is about your word, God, may we be gripped in our hearts, but may we become in love with the very word of life because the word of life leads us to Jesus Christ. So God, may you be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Last, last series, we we're on Jesus. We talked about Jesus being our teacher, that he wants to lead us into all truth. And we, we quoted two specific passages of Scripture that you've probably heard quite often as it revolves around this Christian life. Romans 12, 2, Paul writes to the church of Rome, he says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then we have the word then. We talk about anytime you see then, there's a transition, that something comes after. So let God transform you by changing the way you think. Then something's going to happen. What is that? You'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. When you are transformed in your mind, you will then know what God's will is for your life. And not only do we know what God's will is, Paul tells us how to partner with God in that transformation process in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. This is ways that we wage spiritual warfare. He says, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So here Paul is giving us really two aspects to 
renewing our mind, coming into agreement with what God wants for us in order to live the Christian life. The first thing we have to do is we have to break away from all the culture's expectations and faulty thinking and, and behavior that leads to sin and death. We have to break away, not to be conformed to our culture, but be transformed. We also have to break free from the strongholds of improper thinking that lead to behavior that, that leads to dishonoring God with our lives. And how do we do that? We take captive rebellious thoughts and submit them to be obedient to Christ. This is how we come to partner with God for the transformed life. But the question I have for you today, beloved, is how do you know the difference between a rebellious thought and a righteous thought? How do you know what's rebellious and how's, what is righteous? The only way to know the difference is to somehow discern how God wants us to live, how God wants us to think, how He wants us to believe. There must be some standard by which we are to measure or weigh our thoughts, our beliefs, and our desires. In John chapter 8, Jesus, in John 8, 31, he says to the people who believed in him, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. You are my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. To know the difference between what is holy and unholy, righteous and unrighteous, it requires an understanding of what God is teaching us. Now, Jesus, he's called the Word. In, in John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. He was with God, and he was God. Jesus is the Word. In the Old Testament, the Word came and spoke to the prophets. In the New Testament, Jesus is God in flesh, declaring his Word to us. He is the Word. So the Old and New Testaments are passing on his commands, his will, his desire, and his purpose for every human life. Peter, the apostle, in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 20, he says, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. They didn't make it up. They didn't just think, oh, this might be cool to include in a scroll one day. No, he's saying, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 2, he also says, I want you to remember what the Holy Prophet said long ago, and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. So here not only is Peter affirming that God spoke to the prophets in the Old Testament, those who recorded the Old Testament, like Moses, the psalmist, David, Solomon, the major prophets like Daniel, Isaiah, and Ezekiel, and the minor prophets like Joel, Micah, and Zechariah, that God moved on the hearts of these men to record for us his word, his message, that the Old Testament was a product of God's work in their lives. God set up in the Old Testament what he was going to fulfill in the New Testament. So the Old Testament is not invalidated because we have the New Testament. And the New Testament isn't valid unless we have the Old Testament. There is a symbiotic relationship between the Old and New Testament. Both are necessary for our faith. You have some believers that say, I don't read the Old Testament, I just read the New Testament. Well, then you're missing the point. You're missing the whole reason why Jesus came and went to the cross. Because we find that out in the Old Testament. 
There, there are, there's a depth. There are things that God reveals in the Old Testament that inform us of what to think and believe about the New Testament. Jesus appeared as the Word in the Old Testament, and he spoke the Word in the New Testament. And what we have recorded in the Bible is the record of what he declared. It is the record of his teachings. The Apostle Paul writes to his protege in 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. He says, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they gave you wisdom to receive salvation. What scriptures are he talking about? Well, the New Testament didn't exist here. Paul's writing it as he's writing to Timothy. So he's talking about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is what gave you the wisdom to receive salvation in the New Testament. In verse 16, he says, And all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it. Somebody say God uses it. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God has a purpose for his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You needed someone to declare the word of God to you before you could put your faith and trust in Jesus. You need the Word of God to lead you to salvation, but you also need the Word of God to guide you to live according to your new identity in Christ. The word inspired here in 2 Timothy can also be translated as breathed. All Scripture is inspired by God. It is breathed out by God. Not just some of it, all of it. It's all breathed out. God inspired. He breathed upon the authors of Scripture that what he laid on their hearts would be recorded so that his word could come alive in our lives. He used their experiences, their personality. He used the circumstances in their lives to communicate a message to his people. And what we have is a record of his will, his promises, his plan, and his purpose. So not only are the stories important, but the very words in the Bible are important. Because every word is breathed out by God. And it's the scripture, Paul tells Timothy, that helps us to pull away from culture as it instructs us about what is righteous and unrighteous, what is holy and unholy. It helps us to know how to think and what to believe. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. And it's what God uses to equip us to do what he's called us to do. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the writer of Hebrews says, the word of God is alive and powerful. Somebody say alive and powerful. The word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, and it exposes our innermost thoughts, and desires. Beloved, nothing is hidden from God. He knows our deepest thoughts and desires. He knows our hidden motivations. And he uses the word like a sharp sword to expose the hidden things, to bring us into alignment with the truth. And why does he do that? Does he do it to condemn us? No. He does it for what Jesus said in John 8. He said, you'll be my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. You will know the truth, 
and the truth will set you free. Jesus came that you might have life and life overflowing. Life and life more abundantly. The truth, the word of God, is not used to bind or condemn or discourage. It's given to lead us to freedom, healing, and hope. This is why the word of God is so important. It's vitally important for you not just to read it, but to know it. Because we do have an enemy that Jesus calls the thief that doesn't come to give us life more abundantly. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Peter, in 1 Peter 5.8, he says to stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The enemy is unrelenting in his pursuit to take down anyone he can. He's like a roaring lion. Beloved, we're in a spiritual battle. And Satan is looking at your life, looking for a way to take you down. And you know what? He's really good at it. He's really good at it. He knows where you're weak. He knows when you're prime time for attack. He wants to take you down, and he does it by causing your flame to dwindle and fizzle out. He does it when he gets you to quit following Jesus. Do you realize that the only way the enemy can win in your life is for you to quit? When you quit, he wins. As long as you stay faithful and you stay on the path following Jesus, the Bible says overwhelming victory is yours. The minute you quit, he wins. He wins. So he wants to get you to fizzle out. He has many schemes and plans, and one of the major attacks he uses is to keep you from knowing the truth, what God's will is for your life, so you, he can get you to believe in his lies. And when you believe a lie, you empower the liar. Anything you believe, you give strength to. If you believed that the chair underneath you was about to collapse, you would not be sitting in that chair. You would get up. But why are you still sitting? Because you believe it's going to hold you. Anything we believe, we give power to. And when we believe the enemy's lies, we give power to the liar. So just as Jesus says the truth will set you free, in the same passage, he begins having a discussion with these Israelites who believed that just because they were descendants of Abraham, they were shoe-ins for God's salvation. That they didn't have to do anything but just be born Jewish, and they were all good with God. That nothing else needed to happen because they were descendants of Abraham. And they thought that their genetics made them somehow superior to other people until Jesus tells them the truth. In John 8, 34, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you're truly free. Can we camp there for a minute? If the son of God has set you free... You're truly free. If you don't feel free, you're believing a lie. Because who the Son has set free is truly free. And I know those lies are easy to believe. I get caught in them all the time. But that doesn't change the truth. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. Verse 37, yes, I realize you're descendants of Abraham. And yet... Some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. 
I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you're following the advice of your father. Oh, no, we're children of Abraham. We have the same father, Jesus. Oh, no, you don't. He's telling them the truth, but they're not receiving it. Why? It's because there's no room in their hearts for his message. And why is that? Well, it's because the enemy so filled them up with lies and false beliefs. There's no room for it to get in. They can't bring themselves to believe what Jesus has to say. And even though they believe they have the same spiritual father as Jesus, Jesus is saying, because you don't believe me, it's proof. We don't have the same father. In verse 44, he goes on to tell them who their father is. He says, you are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar. Somebody say, the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. I was uh, receiving counseling from this sweet old African-American lady one time, and I was saying something, and she's like, yo, the devil is a liar. You know, I can't do it like she did, but I will never forget that. He's a liar. He's always been a liar. He's the father of lies. Verse 46, he says, or verse 45, he says, so when I tell you the truth, you naturally don't believe me. When I, Jesus, tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. It's like, which of you can accuse me of sin? You can't accuse the Son of God of sin. Why? He has no sin. He's perfect. And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe what I'm saying? Verse 47, anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. But you don't listen because you don't belong to God. Anyone who belongs to God gladly listens to the words of God. But anyone who belongs to Jesus will believe what he has to say, will trust the word of God, will trust the promises of God. Those who don't believe the word of God, it will show. And what does it show? It shows that they don't really belong to God. Jesus makes it very clear. Your trust in the word of God your faith in his message determines who's really your father. And beloved, this is an issue in our culture today. There are efforts of people and groups trying to change the scripture, to reinterpret the Bible, or retranslate words to fit a more politically correct and culturally sensitive ideology or way of living. And all that shows it is who is really their father. Even people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, that claim to be Christian, Jesus' own testimony is that if you don't believe the truth, you don't belong to God. Because those who belong to God listen and receive the words of God. Listen and receive the scripture. And beloved, Satan loves to twist the scripture. Why do you think there's over 33,000 Christian denominations in the world at this very moment? There was one, and now 2,000 years later, there are 33,000. 
That's more than one new one a year. It's because the enemy loves to twist the scriptures. He even tried twisting the Bible to use it against Jesus in the 40-day temptation. Three different temptations that we have on record. One of those was a passage of scripture the Jews used to enact exorcism. Psalm 90 or Psalm 91. The enemy twisted the scripture against Jesus. And you know what Jesus' response was every time? Is it not written? Is it not written? Devil, I don't care what you have to say. Is it not written? Jesus held the word of God to such a high standard. It was all he put his faith and trust in, and it was what he used to stand against the enemy's schemes and plan. No matter how convincing Satan's argument was, it didn't budge the Lord. Why? Because his faith was in God and God alone, and the truth and truth alone, and what doesn't agree with the scripture, Jesus rejected. And Paul the Apostle in Ephesians chapter 6, he tells us we have armor that God has given us to stand against the schemes and plans of the enemy, to stand against the enemy in the day of battle. In verse 17, he says, put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The, the belt of truth is what holds everything together. The breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace. The belt of truth holds everything together. Where's truth come from? The Word of God. The breastplate of righteousness shields your vital organs. How do you know what's righteous? The Word of God. The helmet of salvation protects you. And it protects you from deadly mortal wounding, protects your mind. How do you defend your mind? The Word of God. The shield of faith deflects the fiery darts of the enemy. What do you trust in? The promises and Word of God. And the sword of the Spirit, which slays the enemy, it's like a two-edged sword. It's alive and powerful. How do you slay the enemy? You declare the word of God. The word of God is our defense and it's our weapon against the enemy. And when the enemy slings lies, we deflect them with the word of God, just like Jesus did. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The enemy gets you to sin when you're not trusting in and believing his word. I've hidden your word in my heart. How do we know what God's will is and what it isn't? How do we know what pleases God? How do we know what's sin and what isn't? How do we know how to honor Jesus with our lives? It's found, beloved, in the word of God. It's our lifeline. It's our anchor. The psalmist continues in verse 15 in Psalm 119. He says, I'll study your commandments and I'll reflect on your ways. I'll delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Be good to your servant that I may live and obey your word. Open my eyes to see wonderful truths in your instructions. I'm only a foreigner in the land. Don't hide your commandments from me. I'm always overwhelmed with a desire for your regulations. You rebuke the arrogant. Those who wander from your commandments are cursed. Don't let them scorn and insult me, for I have obeyed your laws. Even princes sit and speak against me, but I will meditate on your decrees. The psalmist's passion 
for the Word of God should be the passion of every follower of Jesus Christ. But yet today, Barna Research has done a poll, we have more biblical literacy problems now than ever before in all of time, even when the majority of the world was illiterate. Less people know the Scripture, they don't even know what the books of the Bible are in our world today, in Christianity. But here the psalmist is saying, there is an ache in my spirit. I have a passion and desire for your word. In verse 23, the word princes isn't just for physical rulers. It's the same word Paul used in the New Testament for spiritual rulers in heavenly places. So when we are surrounded on every side and these princes are sitting and speaking against you, you're surrounded on every side. What can we do, beloved? We can fix our thoughts on what is true, meditate on the word of God and the promises of God, and they give us strength to guide us through the battle. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. You don't know where to go? I'll show you where to go. Knowing the Word of God and trusting the Word of God, coming into agreement with the Word of God, is vital for success in this Christian life. And I know the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts. I love the Holy Spirit. He brings our faith alive. He does. And there are gifts of the Spirit, and it's so awesome to see God work and move and to see literally in your life, physically in your life, the things you read about on the pages of Scripture. I used to tell people that, all the time when, it, when I left from being an independent, Bible-believing, fundamental Baptist that didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and now I'm a full-blown, crazy charismatic, Woo! they would always say, you know, what's, what made the difference? What's the difference? And I would say, you know what the biggest difference is? I got tired of just reading the Bible. Now I get to live it. Now I get to live it. It makes a huge difference. The Spirit gives many spiritual gifts. One of those is the gift of discernment. And there are many Christians who pride themselves on being really discerning. They have, they can just, they have a really powerful creeper meter. You walk into a room like, creeper, you know. Or something ain't right about that dude. <laughs> something just ain't right. Like they, they can sense how everybody's in, you know, feeling in the room. And they, they just have this discernment that's powerful. It's from the Holy Spirit. They believe they can smell a lie from a mile away. But yet, many of these same believers walk deceived because they don't know the Word of God. They don't know the Word of God to test the spirits or identify false teachers or discern if what the culture is telling you is a truth or a lie. Whether or not it lines up with God's will. There are many cultural issues today that divide believers because we ground ourselves in our culture today more in our feelings, in our opinions, than we do the Scripture. How can we walk transformed, not following the behaviors and customs of this world? How can we walk transformed if we're not going to the place that transforms us? In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul addresses the church of Corinth, and they were passionate about spiritual gifts, passionate about experiences with the Spirit. And again, I love when the Spirit shows up in a room. We pray for that weekly. We desire that. Yet Paul has to rebuke this church because their zeal for spiritual experiences overshadowed their commitment to the Word of God. And 2 Corinthians 11.4, again, these are Christians. He says, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you 
If they preach a different Jesus than the one we've preached, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. So you can be so zealous for spiritual experiences, it opens you up to all manner of deception. Again, the enemy's smart. He knows how to get you. And so when people change or ignore the Word of God to describe Jesus in a way the Bible does not describe Him, or they're operating under a spiritual influence that contradicts the Word of God, or they're teaching a message about salvation that the Bible doesn't teach, like you can earn your way into salvation through doing good works, or that repentance is not needed, you can just sin all you want and still make it there. If those beliefs aren't challenged biblically, it opens you up to all kinds of deception. And deception, beloved, dims the flame of revival. Why? Because you're stifling the Holy Spirit. You're walking in a different direction than the Lord. In 2 Chronicles 7, it's a famous passage of Scripture that, that many quote in revival meetings. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their sin and seek my, my face, I'll hear from heaven and I'll restore their land. That's on mugs and it, you can find it in Hobby Lobby all over everywhere. But the key there is turn from their sin and seek my face. We want revival to come. It comes by coming into agreement with God's word, not walking against it. It's the scripture, beloved, that shows us where we're wrong, guides us to do what is right. It's by scripture we weigh prophetic words and teaching from spiritual leaders. It's by scripture we discern and recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. This is why we have a core value here at Vertical Life Church. One of our six core values is the value of unyielding truth. Because we don't make the Bible say what we want it to say. We see what the Bible says, and then we change. There are people I know who have told me that the Holy Spirit's led them to do something, or God was telling them to do something, and it just didn't smell right. You ever have those moments? Like, yeah, God's leading me to do this, or I feel like God's telling me to do this, and it just, just didn't smell right. Sometimes it's an obvious contradiction with Scripture, but sometimes it's just like, you know what? I've known God a long time, and I've read His Word a lot, and I just don't see God doing that. I don't see God telling people that. Matter of fact, I see the opposite of that. You see, if the Bible's inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's breathed out by God, and then the Holy Spirit's not going to tell you something different than what He's told you in His Word. The Bible says clearly, God's not a man that He should change His mind. He's not fickle. He doesn't call things sin at one point and then calls it not sin at another point. So when someone tells you the Holy Spirit is leading them to do something that's in violation or not in agreement with the Word of God, what they're really doing is they're using that as an argument to justify the rebellion and unwillingness in their heart to humble themselves and admit they're wrong. The enemy's all over that type of thinking and attitude. He's the master manipulator. And he'll do whatever he can to knock you off course and take you down. One of the things that irritates me, can I, can I be totally honest with you all today? Can we do that? I'm going to jump on a soapbox a little bit. One of the things that irritates me is when people ask me to pray for dumb prayer requests. 
There's some dumb things people pray for or ask for prayer. You know, there's some, there's some teachers, you know, you go, to a, you go to a class and a teacher will say, there's no such thing as a stupid question, right? And you'd think in the church, we'd be like, there's no such thing as a dumb prayer request. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. You read Jeremiah. God told Jeremiah not to pray for those people. You ever have that moment where somebody asks you to pray for something, you're like, I ain't praying for that. I ain't praying for that. I don't want to be responsible for what happens by praying for that. Right? There's just some things that you don't need to pray for. You don't got to pray and ask God whether or not you should move in with your boyfriend or girlfriend before you're married. There's some things you don't got to pray for. You don't got to pray whether or not you need to tithe and give God and trust God with the first part of what's blessed you. You don't got to pray for that. Oh, man, Pastor Joy, I met this girl, and, like, I think it's love, but I'm still married to my, my wife, and I, I just don't know what to do. Will you pray and ask God? I ain't praying for that. There's some things I'm not praying for. You don't need me to pray. You don't need a word from God when he's given you the word of God. You want a word from God? He's given you 66 books full of prophetic words from God. You can see what he wants for your life. There's just some things you don't got to pray for. He's already said. What you need to do is just obey. The thing about the Bible, that it's a sharp sword, it's alive and powerful. And what, what, what gets to people, and it, it can either draw you in or can turn you off. It's when you read the Bible, it actually reads you. And some people are not happy with having their mail read. It reads you. It's said a lot of things about me in the past, and maybe even this morning. But beloved, when we pray about stuff like that, what we're really saying is, God, I don't like and I don't agree with what you said. And I really just want to do something else. Because the enemy has convinced me that his way is better than your way. And I just feel bad if I don't get your stamp of approval. You're going to be waiting a long time for God to stamp an approval on sin. Jesus died a horrific death for sin. God's never going to excuse it. He will forgive it. He's not going to excuse it. Those who belong to God hear and receive the word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul tells his protege Timothy, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed because they correctly explain the word of truth. Work hard. It's studying the Word. It's understanding the Word. And beloved, I know spiritual experiences are so much easier. It's so much easier to have God just touch you in a moment and fix all your problems. But Paul says here to be diligent in your study of the Word of God. He doesn't say search and seek out as many experiences as you can have. Why? Because the word of God will inform you whether or not you're having the right experiences. 
I love experiences with the Holy Spirit. I love when God moves in a room. But it's the Word of God that tells us whether or not we're having the right experience. So study hard. Be diligent in the Word so you can discern the truth. The, Holy, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is in you. You don't even need a teacher. You have everything you need to learn and to grow and to know the truth. You have it. So study hard. Believe the truth. Live by the truth. Paul encourages the church of Colossae, and this is our key verse today, beloved. This is, this is the verse that just has been sitting in my heart for this series. In Colossians 3.16, Paul tells the church of Colossae, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Somebody say richly. You know when you eat a dessert and it's rich? You and me need to go out sometime. We're, we think alike. Like, I love going to weddings, not for the wedding, but for the cake. And I love it when people scrape their frosting off because I can scoop it on mine. You don't want that flour? Okay, I'll take that one, you know. But when you eat something rich, man, it, it hits the palate. But it, sometimes it just, it overwhelms your stomach, right? It, you're like, you had three bites, but you're already feeling full. Why? Because there's so much density to it that it fills the space of your hunger, right? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let, let it dwell in you richly. It's not going to just happen. You have to work hard, study, to show yourself to prove unto God. Work hard to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it remain in you. Hide it in you. Absorb it. Go after it. Hunger for it. Let it be abundant to the overflow. You see, one thing we don't lack in our modern era is there's an abundance of teaching. There's so much on the internet, the YouVersion Bible app, podcasts. You can get good teaching everywhere. And I get sucked into that just like anybody else. You got your favorite speakers. You, you, you can download all their teachings or you can go onto YouTube and you just absorb, 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 absorb. But beloved, more than teaching, we need to be in the book. Opening the pages. God can speak through podcasts. He can speak through the best-selling spiritual book. But more than that, we need to soak up the Word of God. Hide it in our heart like we're starving for food. There's a challenge in our modern world. And I love our small groups. I love the Bible studies that we're doing. I love how we're building relationship. But there's a challenge in our world, especially if you've grown up in church. You've been a Christian a long time. There are some churches and some Christians that have placed an overemphasis on study. And they have learned a ton of information. But they don't ever get to the application part. So they've replaced a vibrant relationship with God and faith with intellectualism. What's the next thing I can learn? What's the next thing I can understand? 
And that's just led to a lot of arguing and debating rather than unity. It's a divisionary tactic of our enemy. What Paul says here in Colossians 3, that it's not just about studying the word, which we need to do. But it's also about teaching and admonishing one another. It's about applying it personally and helping other people apply the word of God personally to encourage each other in the word of truth. And if we're approaching this the way God desires for us to approach, it's not just that we're going to learn more information, which we will. But when we are studying the Word of God the way God desires, it's going to accomplish two things. We're not just going to get smarter. Two things are going to happen. Number one, it should make us better worshipers. Singing to each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness to God in your heart. The more you study His Word, the greater worshiper you should be becoming. You shouldn't get stuffier. You should get crazier for Jesus. It's like David danced nearly naked before the Lord. I'm not advising that, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say anything about it. We should get crazier for Jesus. Why? Because God, I didn't know how great you were. I just learned this concept. Now I'm filled with awe and wonder how great you are, God. God, God I didn't know you were like this. Oh, my goodness. Now I can praise you for that. The more we know about God, the greater worshiper we should become. But the second thing, it should also make us a better evangelist. He says, whatever you do, do as a representative of Jesus Christ. So if you're not becoming a better evangelist, a greater evangelist, a greater representative of Christ, and you're not becoming a greater worshiper of Almighty God, then all your study, all your facts and information are futile and a waste of your time and a waste of God's time. It's a waste of time. We're just becoming Pharisees, feeling spiritual, rather than representing Christ with hearts that are on fire for the King of Kings. Beloved, just like building a fire, if all you have are logs on your stack, you're never going to get the fire lit. You got to have kindling. You got to have a source that requires a relationship with Almighty God living it out. You got to have some stuff that's bringing the fire, but the logs are what stoke, make it hotter make it burn brighter and longer. And for some of us here today, and for many Christians, our heads are so full of knowledge that path to our heart, it's gotten clogged. It's gotten clogged. Nothing moves us anymore. We come to church, we hear a message, and we start thinking, man, so-and-so should have been here, and so-and-so should have been here, and I mean, that would, would have been really good. I wish this person would have heard that. All the while, God's saying, actually, I wanted you to hear that. You're too busy listening for somebody else. But your heart's clogged. You got too much junk in the way. I can't, I can't reach your heart. Because there's too much stuff in the way. Beloved, before you do another study, listen to another podcast. Let me encourage you. Get out in the street and represent Jesus. Learn to lay your hands on the sick, to raise your hands in worship, to pray for those who are in need. 
Learn to walk in greater faith. Give with greater generosity and abundance and let the Spirit of God begin working in your heart so you can apply all the stuff that you learned. Because if you learn it, you're accountable for it. And if you don't do anything with what you learned, it's like the servant that got talents that buried it in the sand. The blessing you could have had is just going to give, be given to those who are doing something with what they know. Our study of the Word of God is vital. It's important. But it should also do something. It should make us better worshipers and greater representatives of Christ, greater evangelists. Before we close and we enter into a time of prayer, I just want to give you four simple things you can do beginning today to begin reading the Word of God and studying God's Word in a way that can impact your life. The first thing you can do is you can read it as a story. If I were to open up the Encyclopedia Britannica, non-fiction book, and begin to read, I'm going to be bored after three pages. All that information. And this is how many of us read the Bible. We open it up and we're just looking for information. But if you see the story that's being told, from the moment God breathed life into humanity to the time Jesus comes back and makes all things new, and you put yourself in the stories, and you feel what the people are feeling, and you, and you, and you put yourself in that circumstance, you're going to pick up on nuances and things in the story you wouldn't have learned if you were just reading it as an intellectual exercise. A year ago, we went through a series we did called The Great Romance to highlight the story of the Bible. Put yourself in the story. The second thing, as you're reading it, pray and ask the Lord to speak to you. And then when he highlights a verse of Scripture to you, memorize it. Write it down and memorize it. Make that the verse you think about all week long and memorize it. Hide that in your heart so it can begin to take root in your life. The third thing is to dive deep into the Word. We have a lot of free resources online. You can go online to BibleGateway.com or BlueLetterBible.com and you can type in a word and it will pull up every time that word is used in the Bible. Do word studies. You want to know what the Bible says about grace, about forgiveness, about healing? Do a word study. Look it up in the original languages and find out what the original languages meant. Read commentaries from scholars who do all the boring work for you to make it easy for you to understand and begin to absorb the context, understand the framework that the people were in when they wrote the story so that you can apply it to your life in a way that matters today. And lastly, number four, read it, memorize it, dive deep into it, and do it with other people. Because often what God has taught someone else and shown someone else can be something he can use to transform you. And the word of God's not just for us. We're the church to build up and strengthen each other, to admonish each other and encourage each other to do good works. There's an old Sunday school song that says, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Let's be in the scriptures as we have access to God's mind, his wisdom, and his heart. Let's study his word 
not just to import facts, but to apply it to our lives. James 1.22 says, don't just listen to his word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. God wants a vibrant relationship with you. And he's going to do it through his word. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, God, for the Bible. We thank you, God, that you don't just want us to read an old dusty book that we use as decoration. But in it is life and truth. Spirit of God, draw us into your word. God, I pray that you'd begin speaking, that the words would jump off the page, that every time we read a passage of Scripture, God, that there'd be something in it that would grip our hearts, that we wouldn't become cold or distant or, or numb to your, your, the Scriptures or numb to what you want to do in us, God, but draw us in deeply. God, you satisfy like the richest feast. Your word is rich. God, may the word of Christ dwell in us richly. May we have the same attitude for your word that the psalmist had, crying out that he has hidden his, your word in his heart, that we may not sin against you. God, help us to know the truth and remain faithful to those teachings so that we can find the freedom that we long for in this lost and broken world. God, may we burn bright. May we burn bright. God, you set us on fire. Now add this log to the fire that we wouldn't just burn, but we would roar. And that everywhere we go and all the people we see and everywhere we touch, that your word would be on our lips for it is a sharp sword as we cut down the enemy and as we heal the brokenhearted just like you did, Jesus. Holy Spirit, now as we go into a time of response, God, I pray for those that want more of you in their lives. That maybe it's been a while since they've encountered your spirit or maybe they've never been filled with the spirit before, God, that you would draw them in. Lord, it's by your blood, Jesus, that we can be healed. It's by your broken body that we can find peace with you. And we just pray by the body and blood of Christ and faith in your death and resurrection, Lord, you'd pour your spirit out in this place. There's one here dealing with discouragement that needs an encouraging word, God, that they would come. Those that are dealing with healing, needing a sickness in the body, they would come and we would proclaim the word of God and we'd see them set free right now in Jesus' name. But God, as we stand, as we sing, we ask you to have your way. Fill us, God. Set us on fire. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. at Vertical Life Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.